from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, if you want to join us by phone, feel free to give us a call in our late-night national town hall conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, today was the big day, right? Uh, Devin Archer, the former business uh, partner of Hunter Biden, set to testify uh, in front of Congress in a closed-door deposition that was not under oath. So a lot of people are wondering, um, is it, does it even matter, right? Is this actually a thing? Do we, can we rely on what was said? But I can tell you, you can absolutely rely on this because you know why? Because I watch this stuff. No, 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 I don't mean uh, I'm some sort of expert. I just remember. I remember Representative Dan Goldman. Right? I remember when he was, um, I guess, quarterbacking for, what's his name? Schiff for brains. And he was vicious, but he was on point and he was sharp. And that was the key. He was on point and he was sharp. But today, the same Dan Goldman that took so much joy in impeaching Donald Trump was out there running interference. He was so, so nervous. I mean, so, so nervous. I saw this. I, I, they had it on TV. He was sweaty. He was all over the place. He didn't have an answer. He couldn't remember what to say. People were asking questions. He was, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, he was so all over the place. This house of cards that these guys have built is falling apart right in front of them uh, because little by little, there's only oh, but so much you can get away with. And people are getting nervous. And good old Dan Goldman. Man, let me tell you, he was like a, like a fish out of water, right? He was just really um, flopping around, <laughs> flipping around. It was really a, a tough thing to see. But he was there and uh, he confirmed. He had to confirm that Joe Biden spoke with Hunter Biden's business associates. But, you know, he says, listen, yeah, no, no, no. Look, first... Of course, and I won't play all the audio for you, but I remember watching it. He said, look, if Hunter took a call and the call was on speaker, of course Joe Biden heard if he was there. That's what happens when you're on speaker, right? Trying to normalize every situation. Did they talk to any of the businesses? Well, of course they did. You know, if your dad's president and you're, you're one of your business partners or your friends is on the phone, like, hey, can I say hi to your dad? He's vice president. Hold on. Let me see. Dad, will you come and say hi? All right. Yeah, there you go. This had nothing to do with it. It didn't matter if we were doing business and getting millions of dollars. And what about the president, uh, vice president taking a trip to Ukraine? Well, no, because, you know, he was going there because he wanted to pretend that he had influence and he was trying to make it look like like he was taking credit for what Joe Biden was doing and that he somehow. But he was just building a brand for his lobbying company. It's all he was doing. He was just trying to. You know, he wasn't selling influence with his dad. He was just trying to make it look like he could influence his dad. 
I mean, how dumb do they think you are? Anyway, listen to Rep. Dan Goldman. The witness, Mr. Archer, was very clear that Hunter spoke to his father every day. Um, that, and he indicated that he approximated about 20 times over the course of his 10-year business relationship that he had with Mr. Biden, which would be, with Hunter Biden, which would be about twice a year that uh, Hunter would put his father on speakerphone with, um, uh, with whomever was at dinner. And he, there was no indication that he had any idea who was at dinner with them. It was just a say hello, I'm at dinner here. And there was nothing related to his business dealings. Now, if you expect uh, the world to believe that, then hey, look, I've got a couple of bridges for sale and uh, I'll cut you a good deal. But he went on. He went on to let everybody know that it's, it's a preposterous premise to suggest that Joe Biden shouldn't talk to Hunter's business associates. Now, listen, nobody's saying that he shouldn't. The question here is, Things are happening, right? There was a prosecutor going after Burisma for alleged corruption. Joe Biden went to Ukraine and told the Ukrainian government, if you don't get rid of the prosecutor, you're not going to get the loan guarantees that you need from the United States. And as he's telling the story, and you guys have heard this audio, right? I don't have to play it for you. And And Biden says, uh, son of a bitch, right? <laughs> they, they did it. And I, and I left seven hours later or whatever it was on his plane. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we'll play it tomorrow if you, if, if you don't remember, but this is classic, classic audio and video of Joe Biden, you know, saying he's not doing anything, but yet he's doing something. So you've got Dan Goldman now saying, oh, it's preposterous to think that they shouldn't talk to each other. You know, it's funny. When I worked in the government, they made sure that I didn't accept a cup of coffee that was offered to me if it came from Starbucks. But I could accept one from Dunkin' Donuts because it'd be less than $5. And $5 was the threshold where I I had to avoid even the appearance of an impropriety because I was an official in the state government. So how could the standard be so much higher for me, a guy in state government, than it is for, I don't know, the vice president of the United States at the time. But Dan Goldman says it's preposterous. Listen to this. Contradict the president's statement saying that he never talked to any of Hunter Biden business associates. Clearly he talked, whether it's about the weather or whatever, but he said specifically that he's never talked to them. Doesn't this contradict him? I don't know what his comment is. And if we're going to, well, I don't, I don't think that's what he said. He never said that he has never spoken to anyone. He said that he had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. If he says hello to someone that he sees his son with, is he supposed to say, hi, son? No, I'm not going to say hello to the other people at the table or the other people on the phone. It's kind of a preposterous premise to think that a father should not say hello to people that the son are at dinner with. The son is at dinner with. And that is literally all the evidence is. Now, what's preposterous here is this. It is preposterous to think that we're arguing over the vice president saying hello to people at a dinner table. Nobody's alleging that he said hello to people at a dinner table. People are alleging that there were millions of dollars exchanged for influence and for favoritism. So this idea of I didn't say hello, 
Who came up with that idea? The preposterous premise came from Joe Biden, who said he's never spoken with anybody. He said it. He said he doesn't know what he does. He doesn't interfere in any of it. He doesn't get involved. So when you say one thing and then there's evidence to the contrary, you have to be able to explain it by other than saying, oh, well, I was just saying hi to everybody at, at, at dinner. How do you explain getting to, to Ukraine and, and this whole ordeal? Oh, well, uh, 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 right now there's a little bit of an interesting story. And it gets even more interesting, of course, when uh, Dan Goldman, I don't think we have this, this final cut, but when he was done, he said um, something very interesting. And it, 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 he said he spoke with Mr. Archer when the Republicans left the room. Now, of course, he wasn't under oath, so he could do that. But it's fascinating, right, that, you know, you would wait till the Republicans leave the room to then have a, a sidebar conversation and then go outside and talk about it. I think that the whole thing, uh, it really does, uh, it stinks. I don't buy it for nothing. It sounds like a fake, phony fraud story. Because if that were the case, right in the beginning, three, four years ago, when they started saying, you're selling influence, Joe Biden would have come out and said, listen, folks, other than saying hello to goodbye at a few people at a dinner table on a speakerphone, being polite because of my son, I've never talked to anybody in my son's business. He would have clarified, made it very clear that he's never been involved and never done anything. He never went to Ukraine. But no, Hunter made it look like he was doing something that he wasn't doing, saying he wanted to take the credit for it. And this, again, this is the cover-up. You know what they say, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. And here we are. Anyway, don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. There's more to come straight ahead. We have a lot to discuss. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're talking about Devin Archer, his testimony that wasn't under oath, all of the, uh, the crazy stuff. But to me, the biggest takeaway here was the sweat-induced uh, uh, speech given by Dan Goldman at the end of, of this uh, testimony where he was just squirming all around like a fish out of water. And it, to me, it was incredibly telling. Like, if you had any doubt, uh, reasonable doubt in your mind that, you know, did Biden do it? Are they really doing it? Is it just the Republicans going over? Well, I don't know. After you saw their lawyer, <laughs> so you seemed like their lawyer, Dan Goldman, um, squirming around like that, I think, man, Guilty. Guilty of sin is what I see. Uh, but I want to get to um, to continue this conversation with uh, somebody who, who's down there in the swamp. He knows what's going on and uh, and he always has a, a great opinion on what's happening. Hogan Gidley's former deputy press secretary for the Trump administration. Uh, he's um, he's still with them today um, and he's with us right now. Hogan, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. You bet. So um, what, what do you think? What do you think of, of Dan Goldman's um, spin session after the <laughs> testimony today? So many things to say about it. You've talked about the sweating, of course. But did he, did he slip in there that they were just talking about the weather? 
Didn't he say something <laughs> yeah. about, oh, yeah, they were just talking about the weather. It made me think of Hillary Clinton when she said, oh, those classified, that was just yoga routines. That's all that was. <laughs> um, obviously not true. Uh, they weren't just talking about the weather. Um, and, you know, look, I remember during the Russia, Russia, Russia collusion, hoax, nonsense, the Democrats are spewing. And you remember how they would come out of those meetings in private briefings and they would go right to the cameras, the Democrats, and they would say, oh, yeah, stone cold evidence. Donald Trump, we got him. Bombshell. Oh, yeah. To right. Adam Schiff. All the information. And Republicans would come out and say, I don't know what they're talking about. There's nothing like that in there. Well, it turned out, of course, all the Republicans are right and the Democrats are wrong. So I'm sorry, but I think they've spent up all of their goodwill uh, when they come out of these things and try to tell you what happened inside the meetings. So forgive me, but I'm not going to believe what the left has to say about these things, especially Goldman on this. Uh, he was also, if I'm not mistaken, pretty high up in that impeachment hearing the first time oh, yeah. around as well. Um spouting what we now know is absolutely false, and he was in those meetings, and he knew it was false. So the guy has zero credibility whatsoever. And one more thing I think is really important to note, kind of doing some research here, and look, I traveled all over the world with the president, went on several foreign trips with him, was in the room across the table with Donald Trump, with President Xi, in the room with Vladimir Putin, uh, Zelensky, all, all the major players. And one of the things that's interesting about those foreign nations, if you know anything about them at all, what they think requires um, help or assistance is just meeting or talking to a dignitary. So in China, for example, if you want something done from the government and you get a meeting or you just get to see or talk to someone high up in communist China – that's an implication that you get protection from the government. You're going to get what you want. Mm -hmm. So all of these four nations that are meeting with Hunter Biden and Joe just happens to show up on a phone call to them, what that means in their culture is now they got what they need. Now they got everything they need from the government. They knew that. I mean, Joe Biden knows that Hunter Biden knows that. So they were clearly working the system here to try and get, the money. And as we take a look at this whole thing, I'll kind of end here just by the numbers. We've got 20 plus phone calls with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. You have $17 million to the Biden family, 21 different shell companies, over 170 suspicious activity reports from banks. These aren't partisan organizations. These are banks that deposited the money for the Biden's. The WhatsApp message with Hunter telling uh, Chinese officials, hey, daddy's right here. We want our money. Don't forget, he's sitting right here. A text message from Hunter Biden to his daughter saying, uh, boy, I really hope you don't have to pay for the family just like I had to do my whole life. I, I won't make you do what Pop did for me. All the 10% for the big guy. We have all this information. If you notice, the Democrats aren't impugning the messengers. They're not imputing the message. They know it's all ironclad, tough evidence. What they just say is Donald Trump. What they just say is <laughs> Republicans. They won't talk about the actual information or the evidence because they know it's good. And so when Devin Archer comes out, does his comments today in private, we'll get the transcript, I guess, later in the week. It's not the first guy to talk about dealing directly with Hunter Biden and with Joe Biden. 
Remember mm-hmm. Tony Bobolinsky yeah, came out right. on the record at great peril to his reputation, to his future business endeavors, all those things. He came out publicly and said, yeah, I work with Hunter. And yeah, Joe was part of it. So this is now an exclamation point on the, the, the sentence and the sentiment that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are raking in untold, uh, an untold fortune from foreign nations. And, and quite frankly, it's probably in violation of many laws. Folks, we're on with Hogan Gidley from uh, America First Policy Institute and former deputy press secretary um, in the White House. And Hogan, when you were in the White House, I'm, I'm, I worked in state government, so I'm going to guess that working in the federal government and, and being a presidential appointee, th- there was uh, some orientation you had to go to where they told you about um, the even the uh, perceived uh, the perception of impropriety. Is that true? Like you weren't allowed oh, to do certain things, take 100%. gifts from people. Oh, sure. So, right. At, w- w- I'm at a loss for words because I, I think, how does Joe Biden, vice president of the United States, not know that saying hello to some people on the phone, as he's indicating, that his son is doing business with is not when he's a lobbyist, right? How, how is that not perceived as, as somehow improper? Well, I think um, they know it's improper. I mean, look, Joe Biden's not the brightest bulb by any stretch. Ask any senator who served with him. And in large measure, they kind of discounted him for years. It's just kind of a rube, uh, self-aggrandizing rube. But he does know uh, some of these things that could potentially get him in trouble and avoids them. You know, he didn't, may have not said something directly on the phone. But that doesn't mean his mere presence isn't going to get Hunter exactly what he wants, right. i.e. get Joe what he wants for the family, which is money. The big guy. The big guy. A lot of money we're talking about. $17 million we know about. I mean, this has gone so deep at this point. I have long said this Hunter Biden investigation is a problem. But if you pull on that thread the right way, it's going to turn in, uh, into a Joe Biden investigation pretty quick. And it seems like that's where it's going now. All right, Hogan Gidley, stick with us. We're going to come right back. I want to get your thoughts on uh, the new poll on the economy, Joe Biden's economy. And we're coming right back with Hogan Gidley, former deputy press secretary uh, at the White House during the Trump years. Of course, he's with America's uh, America First Policy Institute. And we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like y'all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're on with Hogan Gidley, former press deputy press secretary for the Trump administration, and uh, he's um, doing a heck of a job at the America First Policy Institute. And Hogan, there is a a new uh, poll out, CBS News poll, that says most Americans think that Bidenomics isn't very effective. Fifty-six uh, percent agreed. With the or excuse me, sixty one percent described the economy as struggling. Fifty one percent agreed and said uh, the economy was uncertain. Thirty six percent said uh, we're in an unfair position, and twenty seven percent that this economy is punishing them. So not, things aren't looking good for for Biden on the economy now. What are your thoughts on how that plays out? Do you think it maintains and into I don't know. October, September of next year? Uh, you know, all indicators are it's, it's going to be a kind of a stagnation situation where we're not really moving forward that much, if at all. Uh, you know, I'm not shocked that the American people equate Bidenomics with bad things. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was stupid for the White House from a press standpoint or a PR standpoint to come out and try and tether his name to this crippling a, it's crippled economy. Uh, they're looking at the same polls everyone else sees, and it's pretty clear that the American people don't like what Joe Biden has done to the economy, uh, doesn't like the record high inflation, record high interest rates, doesn't like the fact we're paying more for gas and for groceries. That's all on Biden's watch. I mean, one of the things that's so infuriating is, you know, Joe Biden came into the White House and you know, changed all of Donald Trump's policies, whether it be with the border, with energy or anything else, bragged about it. And then when it all falls apart, he acts like he had no role in it whatsoever. In fact, a lot of times he looks around and says, you know, these things are just happening to me, but they're not. They're happening because of him. (laughs) And everyone understands that. And so when when you take credit for doing everything the opposite, and we were so successful under Donald Trump, it all falls apart. What did you think was going to happen? And so then the, the the another funny part of that was they put Bidenomics in a name like they had some brilliant idea, like this is the first time anyone ever thought of adding economics to someone's <laughs> name. And I'm like, Reaganomics? I mean, it, it's not new. And, and yeah. then they do it. In a time when people are struggling and, and you're making you know seven to ten thousand dollars less per family per year under this president, obviously uh, wages have gone up, but it, inflation has far outpaced any increase in salary, so you're losing money. Forget the baby shortage formula for a minute. Yeah. But remember that whole joke about it's 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 Putin's energy crisis. Like Vladimir Putin <laughs> had something to do with it. Well, 
he, you know, Biden stops energy production here at home. We were energy independent under Donald Trump, any energy dominant. And, and even if Putin was to blame, even if he were, let's just feed the point for a minute. Wouldn't that be the reason not to rely on a foreign nation for our own energy? If Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin could cripple us that badly and force Joe Biden to go to the Saudis and beg for more production and for lower prices, which didn't happen, of course, because they don't respect him. That's the reason not to rely on dictators and despots all over the world for our energy. So I think it's dumb for the White House to try and and, and put a little name on, on Biden's economic plan and try and sell it as though it's good for the American people when we know better. Yeah, 100%. Now, you know, the other day I was talking to an economist, and he, from that perspective, we, we had a discussion on this. But I want your perspective, because you ran the press shop in the White House, and this is what you do, and you understand h- how things are with public opinion. But do you think there's somebody advising Biden saying, look, if we talk about, we call it Bidenomics because we want you to own the economy. And then somebody says, hello, the economy's not doing great. Why would we want to own that? And then somebody else says, don't worry. By the time the election comes around, inflation, people be numb to it. They're going to, we'll be able to report that we've lowered every single, for the last 15 months, we've reduced inflation. And, you know, we'll, re- we'll I don't know, we'll let go of another million barrels of, uh, of our strategic reserve, bring gas prices down by 50 cents and uh, cruise right into a re-election. Do you think there's somebody advising Biden this? Because somebody made that argument to me, and I thought, I don't think the American people are that um, forgetful. Uh, but what do I know? You're the pro. Well, here, here's, the, here's the one variable that I think you're not taking into account, if I may be so bold. You're yes, correct in the fact that people will be numb to a lot of things by then. And remember, campaigns, you know, are, 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 you know there's a lot of, lot of fighting, a lot of mudslinging, a lot of back and forth. But you can't really fake um, Being message <laughs> what the American people. Yeah, exactly what the American people are actually feeling. Yes. Here's a variable, though, the media, because the media is so in the tank for Joe Biden. They cover every little thing good as if Joe Biden solved every global problem. But then everything that's bad, they just cover it up. And as you know, Bias occurs in two ways. It's what you cover, so it's what you decide to cover, what not to cover, and then how you cover it. And so anything with the economy, the press goes all in, in the tank for Joe Biden to try and tell you, the American people, hey, no, you really should be feeling this way because it's so good for you out there. The problem is, and I think where the person you were talking to is incorrect, and you are correct, is that the American people know better because you can't, excuse the euphemism, but it's an old one, you you, you can't pee on my boot and tell me it's raining. (laughs) They know what's happening to them. They feel it in their pocketbook. They understand when they leave the grocery store spending $200, it doesn't go nearly as far as it used to. They don't have as many grocery bags. They understand that. Um, They know that crime is going through the roof. They know all of these things are related to Joe Biden and his policies. It's just the media is going to put in overtime because they're going to have to because Joe Biden's such a failure to try and sell a bad product 
It's just, it, it remains to be seen whether or not the American people are going to buy it. Right now they're not, and I hope they don't come close to November next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Hogan. I, I think the media, and, and it's just, I guess it's fear, right? It's I get nervous when I think, you know, you start saying things, and because people tend to believe what they hear in the media and what they see on TV and they read in the Washington sure. Post. And, you know, and I just think, but put your hand in your pocket. Like, just just do it. Just try it. And I was, you know, telling the audience uh, a few days ago, I bought a used car, and I feel like I spent a lot more money than I should have on a used car for my daughter. And and I'm thinking, I can't be the only person that's going through this where we're spending way more on everything to, to the point where, you know, we, I guess... I hope we don't get to a point where we give Biden a pass and just go, well, it's a, it's a, it was a global pandemic. Now it's a global uh, inflation and, you know, that, it'll pass. It's going to take some time. You know, it happened to Reagan, too. You know, this is what I hear people telling me. And I'm thinking, no, this is a, a direct result of our government spending and and Bidenomics. Right. He wants to own it. He needs to own it. And, and I'm just uh, hopeful that that the American people uh, just don't forget too soon. He wants to own it. Let's hang it around his neck. Let's make him own it, right? I mean, he's trying to, so you can't run away from the bad parts of it. And that's the thing. And you're right. Look, the left controls all the major levers of power and influence. Uh, you know, Hollywood, colleges and universities, the media, of course, and big tech. So they're going to put in overtime trying to tell the American people not to believe their own lying eyes, right? Listen to us. We know better. Right. Uh, but I just think the policies are hurting the American people so badly at this point. It's going to be very difficult for him to recover from that. And look, his age, his, his feebleness, his, his inability to get through sentences and, and thoughts and press conferences and everything else, that's all part of it. But when we're really talking about the, the ramifications of any administration, it's the policies. What do the policies do to make your life better? Or what do the policies do to make your life worse? And I work at a place called the America First Policy Institute because I believe in policies that are proven mm -hmm. to put the American people first, to put our interests first, and, and then you know help grow the, the, the opportunities for every person in this country, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed. We don't have to guess if they work. And remember, you know, under, under Trump, people would talk about uh, how good things were, and under Biden, they're so bad. But, you know, we used to have to point all the way back to Reagan and say, wow, look how great it was under the Reagan years. Right. This, this is two years ago we were experiencing these record, high, record highs and record successes. So I think the American people are going to want that back. Um, and Joe Biden, look, you lose elections mm -hmm. when you surprise the electorate. And, you know, everybody knew Clinton was a dirtbag. So when he got caught doing what he was doing, no one cared, right? Read my lips, <laughs> no new taxes. And then Bush raises taxes. It surprised the American people. What the people were told in this country was that Joe Biden was just good old Uncle Joe. He was mm -hmm. the adult. He'd been doing this road, forever. Right. What a nice uh -huh. guy, right? No scandals, no nothing. Now as these things start to come out, stories about him being jerks to his staff and yelling at people, his forgetfulness, uh, his, his inability to, to bring together the Republicans and Democrats like he said he could, his inability to get, garner any support or love or respect on the international stage and his failures up one side and down the other. And now the scandals with his son, that surprises people. And they don't right. like those types of surprises. It's going to be a problem for him. Yeah, I agree. Folks, we're on with Hogan Gidley, America uh, First Policy Institute. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to get his take on 
Trump vowing to support primary challenges against any Republican lawmaker who refuses to impeach Biden. I think that's a pretty good idea. We're going to get to that one straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We're back with Hogan Gidley and uh, we're looking at at some lawmakers who are vacillating on whether they should impeach Joe Biden. Now, it seems to me that President Trump was impeached frivolously and over much less. These allegations, in my opinion, are are way more serious than anything that they claim Trump did, uh, including the final impeachment, which was ex post facto. He wasn't even in office. But there's uh, reports that say Trump is vowing to support primary challenges against any Republican lawmaker who refuses to impeach Biden. Hogan Gidley, what say you? Well, it's not lost on me that we opened this with Congressman Goldman, of course, who headed up the impeachment hearing uh, against Donald Trump and uh, knowing the evidence was was all nothing. It wasn't real. But it should be noted, too, that there is a certain level of irony that Donald Trump was impeached over a phone call with Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine talking about looking for corruption between Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and Ukrainian officials. And here we are today with the evidence coming out by the Republicans Mm -hmm. pointing to the corruption Donald Trump was asking about from years ago, and it all looks like it's really bad for the Bidens, of course, politically, but most assuredly legally, because they could be under some serious uh, indictments, some serious investigations, some serious trouble. So if Donald Trump can get impeached over a phone call, I don't know why a sitting president could not be impeached over profiting off his name from four nations, which is a clear violation, of course, of federal law, not to mention the fact just the rampant immorality of lying consistently about knowing anything about your son's business dealings when you, in fact, were the linchpin in all of it that allowed him to rake in these millions of dollars, these bags of cash, and distribute it out to the family. So I understand what Donald Trump's saying here, and I think from what we've seen so far with Speaker McCarthy and others, it's not off the table. You don't want to get into a situation where the person coming into mm-hmm. power is always, you know, is, you know, is always going after the one who was there before, and and vice versa, and, and the I'll impeach you, you impeach me type thing. Right. But at the same time, you should use impeachment when it's legitimate. And they did not do that with Donald Trump. It was all illegitimate. It was all based on a lie. And now we have someone in office who has a history and a record 
of doing things in violation of federal law. And a person who's been a public servant this long, been in the U.S. Senate, been in Congress this long, to have that kind of money and these different properties, et cetera, et cetera, calls into question some serious ethical violations and I would argue legal ones too. Yeah, you know, Hogan Gidley, I think you're, you're spot on. And for me, it really highlights the fact that you've got you've got these guys, like you said, coming full circle. They impeached Trump, again, to, in my opinion, cover up the questions he was asking about Ukraine. And, and here we are, you know, years later, sending all this money to Ukraine with this endless conflict in Ukraine. And we're still more cover-up, more cover-up from the Democrats. Hogan, I'm, I'm out of time here for this segment. Are you able to stick around for one more segment? Because I wanted to nail one more thing down. If not, we can uh, let you go. I just wanted to double-check. Sure, uh, we can take care of it. Well, that's no problem. You got it. All right, folks, we're coming right back with Hogan Gidley. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. At night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. We have someone with a question for our guest, Hogan Gidley. Let's go to Mike in Jamestown, New York on WJTN. Mike, go right ahead. Hey, sir. I I love your show. I listen to it whenever I can. I appreciate you. you. Um, Likewise. So it seems like all this Biden stuff, their crime family, occurred when... uh, he was vice president. Biden was vice president. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's just, I don't understand if he was the new number two guy. Usually when something, there's a problem, the number one guy is mentioned anyway. I've never heard any mention of Obama's name. If You're right, Mike. Bomb- this is, he was the president. Nobody asked him a single question. He's uh, so far they think the big guy is Joe Biden. Be curious to see if there's actually another big guy, Hogan Gidley. Yeah, uh, what's interesting about that is this is how long we've been you know, talking or even thinking about this Hunter Biden situation. You know, in the federal government, when you're putting someone through the paces and getting them ready for a Senate confirmation hearing, you put them what's, through what's called a murder board. And you sit them down in a room and you fire off tough questions. Uh, and try to get them ready for whatever a senator may ask them in a hearing. Well, one of the subjects that a lot of the Biden officials, excuse me, the Obama officials had to be ready for Mm -hmm. was Hunter Biden. They knew he was a problem way Mm -hmm. back then. It was was Obama's uh, Justice Department that was concerned. It it was Obama's FBI that had information about this pay-to-play scam, this this whole, um, you know, uh, trafficking in his name situation the Bidens were kind of doing, and it seems as though it was kind of a common practice and commonplace thing that a lot of people in Washington knew about at the time. So it's a legitimate question to ask of Obama, what what part did he play? Did his DOJ protect uh, uh, Joe Biden? Remember, the weaponization of these three-letter agencies, Mm -hmm. our government, it's not just about who they prosecute. It's about who they protect. There are two kind of issues at play here when the left is protected by the government. 
and then a different level, a different set of rules when they go after everybody else. So the elites are protected in a lot of ways. The rest of the American people are not. And so it's a legitimate question to ask, and I would hope over time we get to the bottom of it one way or the other. If Obama's involved, we need to find that out too. That's right. What did Obama know? When did he know it? Folks, Hogan Gidley was our guest, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Follow him at Gidley. Hogan, I want to thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Anytime. Thanks so much. You bet, folks. More to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you on this Monday evening. And again, if you want to join us on the phone, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. A couple of headlines very quickly. The deposition uh, that we um, just broke down in the last hour, again, was today. Devin Archer did testify uh, before a closed-door session of Congress. We don't have the transcript yet. We're awaiting it. Uh, CBS News now has a poll saying 65% of Americans view Joe Biden's economy as bad. And in another headline, this is an interesting one. Police officers are now being considered to become police officers in Illinois. And uh, this is an interesting proposition. Uh, There's a measure, House Bill 3751, that passed the Democrat State House and Senate before being signed into law by the governor. The bill, which will become law in January of 2024, allows eligible immigrants who are not in possession of U.S. citizenship to join law enforcement in Illinois, something that federal laws currently forbid. 
And to get some reaction to that, uh, we've got an excellent guest. She's been on the program before. It's always a pleasure to have her. She's the spokesperson for the National Police Association, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. Sarge, welcome. Hey, Rich. Thanks so much for having me to talk about what's happening in my native Illinois. It's crazy. It's crazy what's going on. I know some in Congress are kind of, um, you know, uh, taking exception. Um, Lauren Boebert uh, amongst those saying that this allows illegal immigrants to become police officers in traditionally blue states. Um, I'm wondering, is something being lost upon us? Is this a ploy to further uh, employ the illegal immigrants? uh, Or is this something like uh, the DREAM Act where People are saying, well, you know, if they were already here, we'll let them in. They don't have citizenship yet, but that, you know, they only know America. What's the story on this? Well, so again, this is House Bill 3751 that J.B. Pritzker, our governor, signed into law. Uh, It'll take effect January 1st. And what what the law says is if you are legally authorized to work or you're here under DACA, um, that you can become a police officer in Illinois. Now, first of all, you know, and you already said it, this goes against federal law. You know, Mm -hmm. federal law currently says that you, if you're an illegal alien, you can't become a police officer with the power to arrest people. Now, I want everyone who's an American and listening to this to ponder this. Do you want a person who is not, who's a foreign national, not a citizen of this country, to be able to arrest American citizens on American soil. So that's one of the things. Now, of course, we talk a lot about guns these days, and mm-hmm. federal law also says that to become a police officer, you must be able to obtain, purchase, and possess a firearm legally, which illegal aliens can't do. Um, I view this as an extremely slippery slope and that's kind of an overused term these days but this is the slipperiest of the slippery slopes you know i was an illinois police officer for 29 years i am born and raised in illinois i fled a few years ago but when i became a police (laughs) officer at age 21 i raised my right hand and i took an oath to what the constitution Constitution. of the state of illinois and and the the constitution of the united states Mm -hmm. now are people who are, are already breaking the law by being here, are they going to be as vested in this nation as you are, as I am, as other Americans are? And so, you know, again, this, and I think this is born out of, uh, well, first of all, Governor J.B. Pritzker is just a far left, dare I say, oh, yeah. lunatic. And that, and that's my opinion. Um, but, Look at what's happening in Illinois. First of all, Chicago, 50 people shot this weekend. Um, you know, and that's a typical weekend for Chicago. That's not in the least bit unusual. Chicago well, is currently in the middle. It, yeah, very sadly, currently in the middle of a horrible crime crisis and a terrible migrant crisis. And the residents of Chicago are starting to really rebel against the sanctuary city status uh, in Chicago. So is this the governor's way of dealing with that migrant crisis that we're seeing, not just in Chicago, but in other cities and in rural areas around Illinois? Um, Is this a way to create chaos, additional chaos around the state of Illinois? Um, 
I'm not really sure, but I want people to think about the last three years, the vilification and the demonization of the American law enforcement officer. And what have you been hearing? We need better cops, better educated cops, better trained cops. Now, again, we were defunding them. So they've taken away lots and lots of millions and billions of dollars from American law enforcement departments. But is this the way we're going to have the best of the best? the best educated cops, the best trained cops, is to recruit and hire people with perhaps limited language skills. Uh, we can't really do extensive background checks on a lot of these people because people come here as migrants with no papers, no birth certificates. We're not able to even talk to people that might have been their teachers or their neighbors, things like that. So that background check uh, is 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 out the window. Um, this they're is violating. Crazy. Yeah, well, it is crazy. So, you know, we're already we're given a legal driver's license. Some get to vote in local elections. Some get to serve on things like school boards and things like that. And now. We're going to make them. We've already made them nurses and and uh, allowed them into some other professions. Now into law enforcement. Now what? You know, again, the slipperiest of the slopes at a time when the American law enforcement officer is already beleaguered, vilified, and abused. You know, uh, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, I, I find this problematic because I realize that you don't, you don't have to be a citizen to serve in the United States military, but you do need a green mm -hmm. card, right? And and this goes a step beyond that. It's not just, you know, green card holders, permanent residents of the United States. We know who they are. They've been through the interview process. There's a plan in place. But they're saying uh, it, it's any um, any any DACA participant uh, or uh, anybody who just has a work permit. and 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 that's really interesting to me. Because there are people that have work permits where the work permit's only good for six months. And so, to, you know, you, it, presumably saying you, you could be here on a work permit where it's only good for six months and you could apply and then get a permanent job. And then what? You're you're here permanently. It seems like a backdoor way. Right. It's uh, to to skirt the permanent residency requirement that the military has. And I think well, all of yeah. us ultimately this is just uh, and you tell me what you think about this. Um, I feel like there's there's the citizenship or naturalization through military service where you can there's a way to go through that process if you served or had served in, in the armed forces. I'm wondering if they're trying to mimic that with getting them to lower the standard to allow them to become police officers to then similarly try to create a naturalization process that way. What are your thoughts? Well, and you just said the key phrase, and that is lowered standards. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the process that the military has utilized for quite some time to to give uh, immigrants a way to to become legal citizens through military service. Very different than doing it through law enforcement service. Mm -hmm. Again, for the you know, we can go back to 2014, the, you know, where the war on cops really started, you know, Ferguson and all of that. Sure. 
the the Obama administration, what did they want? We need cops that are college educated. We need them to be the best of the best. And they've got to be able to do everything from de-escalate a situation to deliver a baby, handle domestic disputes, make traffic stops. But don't shoot anybody or don't use any kind of force. And you've got to know the law. Absolutely. Every law in your state, every every criminal law in your city, et cetera, et cetera. We put all these restrictions and requirements on the American law enforcement officer. And again, I want everybody to think about this. When, when, a, when a cop is out there doing their job, I don't care if they're with the NYPD or they're with a one-man sheriff's department in central Oklahoma, they are, doing, they are making life and death and very often million-dollar decisions largely on their own. Shouldn't yeah. we be and raising in, like, in, in a second and a half? Exactly. So shouldn't we be holding these people to the highest of standards instead of passing a law like Governor Pritzker just signed that says we're going to take people that have likely lied? Because, again, the vast majority of our illegal immigrants right now have done what? Lied about about the, you know, lied about amnesty. Um, they have, uh, uh, they have lied about why they're in, they're coming to this country, right? They're, they're trying to get uh, a status that they do not deserve. They have broken federal law. They have crossed the border, uh, illegally, and we're going to give them a gun and a badge, and we're going to give them to pow- the power to pull you over an American citizen while you're on your way home from the studio and to potentially take your liberty away and potentially take your life. Is that Absolutely. what we want? Yeah, it, it's, it seems like a backdoor way to do what, what, what they're trying to do, which is um, scary to me. Folks, we're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's the uh, spokesperson for the National Police Association. She's with us for another segment, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. Our guest is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, spokesperson for the National Police Association. And we got a couple of callers with um, questions and comments uh, for Sergeant Smith. So we're going to go ahead and check in with Todd. Todd's in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Todd, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez and the good Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. Hey, yes. Uh, well, thank you for bringing this issue to light. And uh, I just wanted to mention uh, just a few months ago, we had a situation with the uh, Chinese Communist Party operating police stations in New York City to harass dissidents. And also I wanted to mention, you know, the cartels. Um, what's to stop the cartels from sending people in and putting them in the police force in Illinois? 
working their way up to police chief, maybe. And, and, and with the Chinese Communist Party, they can send people in. I mean, this, this plan is just insane. And are there any legal challenges that you know of that are going to be taken against it? Great question, Todd. Thank you for the call. Sarge, go right ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, Todd brings up so many great points. Um, he, you know, here's the thing. Is this going to be challenged in the courts? I believe it is because, again, um, remember, you're violating federal law by allowing this. The state of Illinois uh, is. So I think that we will see this work its way through the courts. But we also know that uh, that that system is very uh, is very slow. It's arduous. So, I, you know, Todd is absolutely right. You know, everyone from terrorists to anti-American uh, folks can come or be sent to the state of Illinois. And again, there's a similar law in California to be able to become police officers. And, you know, we already have an issue in many of the blue cities in the United States. Chicago is one of them where we see street gangs infiltrate the police department. We see other crimes. And when he talks about the border, you know, I'm sitting right now about 60 miles from the southern border here in southern Arizona. And the cartels are a big part of our life uh, here in southern Arizona. And to have them make their way to Illinois and have other states adopt this and then have them become American law enforcement officers, it will destroy our American law enforcement system. And it kind of makes you wonder, is, it, is that the end game that the left really wants to do? Because, because mm-hmm. again, we've seen the, the complete uh, demonization of the American law enforcement officer since 2014, but especially in the last three years, Wrongly so, when you look at the actual facts and statistics, uh, is this just one more nail in that coffin? And can we fight it? Because we're going to have to fight it. The American people are going to have to fight this. And I sure hope the people of Illinois start the ball rolling. All right. We're going to go to Judy in Pittsburgh on KDKA, America's oldest radio station. Judy, you're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Um, hello, Sergeant Smith, and I want to thank you for your service. Um, I felt the same way. You know, they're just letting people come into our country, give them control. How do they know they're not terrorists? How do we know our country's not going to be taken over? They don't know. And my nephew just graduated. He went for four years of college. He just graduated here in July under criminal law to be a state trooper. And I have a cousin that's been a state trooper in Baltimore for 30 years, and I have a stepbrother that's a state trooper in Butler. And it took them a lot of training to carry this job. And Biden's just letting people come in and take over our country. Who do we contact to stand up for you? Because I will. Thank you, Judy. Sarge, go right ahead. Well, Judy, from a law enforcement family, I love that. And you know what we want? We want people like her nephew, four years of college, and then he says, all right, I want, I want to become a state trooper. She has other state troopers in her family. I happen to be married to a state trooper. And, and this is what we want, high-level, highly educated 
people to do the job of law enforcement all around this country. And so, so who do you contact about this? Everyone can go to the state of Illinois' website and get Governor J.B. Pritzker's email address. Send him an email and tell him what you think of this. But here's the thing, everybody, in your own local area, you know, we get kind of eaten up with national politics here in the United States. Who's going to be president and all that? You have got to look at who is on your city council, who is on your county board, who's Mm -hmm. on your school board. All politics are local, and local is what controls your police department. You're right, folks. That was Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, national spokesperson for the National Police Association. Sarge, thank you so much. Great to be with you, Rich. You bet. Folks, stick around. There's more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. today, I continued my tradition of going to the Cuban restaurant to get my espresso coffee in the morning. Uh, I went with my brother today. Now, of course, if I haven't announced it, the restaurant that I go to is sold. And the Cuban family sold it. They're, uh, I believe they're trekking to Florida. And a new family bought this place. And they're slowly changing the menu from Cuban food to Ecuadorian food, which is fine. I think they're not going to change the coffee. So I continue to patronize this place. But minus the political discussion, or so I thought, because I went there today and there was some political discussion. My brother started asking the new owners, uh, you know, what their take was on certain things. But what comes to mind was the conversation split off into the what do you think of the economy and the economy's tough. And, you know, they were split amongst the, 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 the owner and his wife on he has another restaurant and this restaurant and also does some other work. And she was saying, you know, I'd rather just get a good paying job rather than create a job for myself by way of opening this restaurant. Because this is, you know, hours and hours of work every day and there's no vacation time. And, you know, she just seemed like, you know, I could probably get a better deal somewhere else. And it made this topic so real because according to a survey of small business owners by Walmart Business, only 22 percent of business owners felt they were taking enough vacation, with 41% of them saying they needed to be at work in order for their company to run. 36% of them said they couldn't afford the cost of vacation. And ultimately, 36% of them said they took one or no vacations over the last two years. Finally, 21% said they get um, some time off, but you know, once a year, 
it may not be what you know what they anticipated so what happens when the boss becomes burned out how does that impact the company how does it impact morale and what's the best way to deal with boss burnout well we're going to talk with somebody who knows how to address those questions eric eager is the ceo of four impact data and uh he's with us to talk about boss burnout eric eager welcome sir yeah thanks rich thanks for having me on you bet so let's um let's take this from the top if you got somebody you know and again small businesses run the gamut right you've got some guys that are like you know in new york they run a bodega but then you've got other people in other places that may have a a restaurant or you know a small um i don't know plumbing company there's so many different small businesses that that kind of make america operate and it doesn't matter what kind of business you're in ultimately you're going to put in a lot of hours and you're going to burn yourself out how do we manage this eric eager well you know it's um you know it's hard you know anybody that has run a small business can tell you it is not easy mm-hmm. and and one of the things you run into is that in the you know the stages of growing a business you know the, the kind of the first stage is you're in this kind of survival mode and a, a lot of times myself included you know i've i've had some successful businesses and not so successful in every one of those cases it's been this um i just didn't know what i didn't know and so a lot of times you're you're concerned about you know first of all when you start the business, you have a, a passion for it because you're, you're trying to hang on to that American dream of being your own boss. But what they don't tell you about is when you start your businesses, that you're the last one to get paid because you've got all these people now depending on right. you. And, you know, you're, and so what happens is a lot of times is that, um, you know, we studied and looked at, one of the, you know, what is the contributing factor? What are the things that can change the probability of success for business owners? And it was having access to wisdom and experience. Because I don't know how many times you've heard, you know, so many business owners don't know what they don't know. So what we try and do to compensate for having these experience gaps and running a business is that we just put in the extra work and, and we put in the extra time and all of a sudden, the business can't run without me. You know, it, it's it's not going to work right. It, you know, I've got to be there all the time, and I'm going to put the extra hours in to make the difference up. Well, the problem with that is, is then all of a sudden, you are spending 60, 70, 80 hours a week in there working, and you can never leave. And eventually... And, and just coming out of COVID and everybody doing everything can to survive is that now all of a sudden you've got these owners and business owners that are experiencing burnout. And this was, you know, this was happening before even the pandemic. And so things that you can start to do, one of the things we find is that business owners a lot of times, um, you know, and, and this is common in, in new leadership and new business owners that you feel like you got to have all the answers. You, you know, you got to be able for your team to have every answer to everything. And honestly, a lot of times is that you don't and you have to ask for help. And so, 
some of the things you can do is, is mm-hmm. you know, people want to be part of building a business. You know, in today's world and, in, in, you know, in America, everybody wants to be part of building something. So as a business owner, you know, you can, if you can have those open conversations and, and start to include your team as, as part of the business, you can kind of start letting go. And, and basically, you know, everything's built on trust. And so as a business owner, as you start to kind of trust your team and involving them in the decisions, and I understand, you know, running restaurants and running plumbing, and running these types of businesses and small business is it, it can be, you know, a, a single, you know, solo, solo entrepreneurs, I call it, but it can always, it, it can, you know, according to small business administration, they still say, uh, I think it's approximately $50 million a year in revenue is defined as a small business. But mm-hmm. in each one of those cases, you go from what I, what I call the survival mode to the thrive mode. And every entrepreneur that I've talked to has had, you know, uh, extremely successful businesses that have gone on millions of dollars. They all talk about the survival days and what lessons they learned. So a couple of things that the business owners can do as well is that, you know, so many of us repeat the same mistakes as everybody ahead of us have. We, We seem to continue... That's why having these experience gaps and helping business owners. So as a business owner, what you can do is that first and foremost is a, get a, get a mentor, get somebody to help you because then you're not going it alone. Right. And, and, you know, so the minute you go and that you talk to somebody who's been there, done that, has blazed that trail ahead of you. You know, don't make the same as I tell friends and everything. Don't make the same dumb mistake I made. And, and I made the same mistakes as I talked to a number of other CEOs. And we all seem to repeat the same mistakes. So don't repeat those same mistakes. Get a mentor. And as you're starting to experience burnout, one of the things that can be a big help is you, got to, you, you talk to that mentor. And then they can tell you it's okay to, you know, it's okay to talk to your team. It's okay to share and get input from the team. Because guess what happens is, is that you start to give and extend trust to your team, they'll extend trust back to you. And now all of a sudden, as you need to take a day off, you can trust that team members there. And, and now you've built that relationship. You've built that level of trust. And now you can have a comfort level. You leave that, you know, the, the shop or the store continue to operate without you being there. And that's kind of one step to start kind of relieving that stress level. Um, uh, what, you, know, right. you had a question? Let me just pause right here. Eric Eager, we're going to take a quick pause. We're going to come right back and wrap up our conversation on burnout for business owners. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Welcome back. We're on with Eric Eager. He's the CEO of 4Impact Data. And we're discussing burnout for business owners. Now, Eric Eager, um, excellent tips that you've offered thus far. Uh, Tell us, uh, anybody who wants to follow up with the work that you're doing at 4Impact Data, how do they find you? Go to our website, and as you would expect, it's um, the number 4Impact Data. Dot com, And, you know, really, we, we have started a company with the whole mission of changing the odds for business owners so we can, you know, give them a greater chance to survive and thrive. So there's a bunch of experienced entrepreneurs who have, have built successful businesses and are really simply just trying to pay it forward. So we've, um, you know, we worked and built a lot of things, kind of best um, you know, lessons learned, and we codified it. So that, you know, with the whole idea of helping, you know, kind of fellow entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and help business owners not not make the same mistakes a lot of us have and increase their chances of building a great business. And give us the website one more time. Okay. It's www.4impactdata.com. All right, folks. You've heard the address, Eric Eager. Uh, Thank you very much for putting some uh, much-needed attention on this topic. Hope to have you back again soon. Godspeed to you, sir. Same thing to you. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. You got it. All right, folks. Now, you know, we talk about burning out, and this happens everywhere, right? It's not just business owners. And I'm looking at, a, you know, um, an article that I saw on burnout for business owners. And, and there's a number of things that, you know, both Eric Eager pointed out and others that that we can do and i think ultimately it has to do with just making sure you carve out that time right i was a business owner for for many years and i can tell you i was burnt out because you you start to develop a different type of work ethic and i think it's only only known to those that have been in the entrepreneurship space right so for example if you own a restaurant whether it's a diner, fine dining, a banquet hall, whatever, you're going to learn very quickly that it's a lot of work, right? You've got to buy the food, you've got to prep the food, you've got to cook the food, you've got to display the food, deliver the food somehow, you know, whether it's to a countertop or, you know, through a delivery service. There is a lot of work entailing, uh, entailed in, in this in, in enterprise. However... It's not um, as simple as other businesses, and I think this is why so many people become statistics, right? In the restaurant business, at least, they you know they say ninety percent fail in the first five years, uh, but that's not exclusive to restaurants. I think that that is a real um, problem that everybody who is a small business owner faces, and that's why it's so important to make sure that you uh, figure out how to manage your time. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, lamentably for those that are in business for themselves and still need to do everything and wear every hat, it's that they just, they've figured out how to create a job for themselves, but it's one where they don't get any vacation time, right? And then ultimately, it's like, if you don't work your 14, 15, 16, 18 hour day uh, and do everything you've got to do, you may not be able 
to uh, survive, right? You've got to do all those things. So it becomes very, very problematic. So that's why I think the onus is on you, the business owner, to say, look, no matter what's happening, come hell or high water, I will do X, Y, and Z and make sure that I get, you know, my uh, recharge. I get to take that break and and prevent burnout. Uh, And straight ahead, I want to talk a little bit about burnout, but how it affects everybody else, right? We're talking about burnout for business owners, but the reality is there's a lot of burnout out there that a lot of people are dealing with, and and that's a problem. So don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 833- for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Well, Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. You know, I got to tell you, I'm going to be very frank with you in a moment of vulnerability, which is really a strength, right? Because you've got to be willing to be hurt um, when you're being vulnerable. And and I, when I hear people like that, just that audio clip coming in, it was Tony Orlando, right? The legendary Tony Orlando. Um, she wore a yellow ribbon and all those other amazing songs that he's sung over the years. And when they say things like that, you know, I have one of the most amazing shows. I, I am so moved by that stuff. And, and half the time I'm like, oh, stop. Not because it is embarrassing me, which it does a little bit, but more so, I don't even believe it. I'm just like, come on, you're putting me on. You're, you're like a, 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 a industry legend. And it just really does move me. I'm grateful to him. Big shout out to Tony Orlando and each and every one of you that's ever paid me a compliment. I'm very um, appreciative of it. Now, I just wanted to say that. I also want to let you know, today is, uh, you know, every day is like National Something Day, right? And today, it's National Avocado Day. Yeah, I bet you didn't know National Avocado Day, or in Spanish, Aguacate. But today is National Aguacate Day, and I think that's funny. I didn't know that. Uh, It's also National Mutt Day, which is also celebrated again in December. And believe it or not, there's something called National Raspberry Cake Day. Yep, that's an actual thing uh, that I bet you didn't know about. But I'm sure, okay, maybe you did know. If you knew about it, you'll let me know when you call in. Let's go to the phones. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And again, a quick reminder that Open Phone America is coming up right now at the top of the hour. So you want to make sure you get your calls in so that you're not on hold till the end of the show and you don't get a chance to get on. You want to call in early, always, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And another quick reminder, the Podcast Awards, right? The People's Choice Podcast Award, we've been nominated for that, the podcast of this program, America at Night. And uh, I, I'm honored for those of you that are willing to register your email to vote, to make it a, a, fair, uh, a fair voting and if you want to vote and at least register your email so that you can vote, 
all you've got to do is go to podcastawards.com, podcastawards, plural, podcastawards.com, and there's a little blue box uh, right towards the middle of the screen. You click on that. It says nomination and register to vote. You register your email to vote, and you, your spouse, your children, everybody that wants to vote uh, is eligible to vote for this program. Uh, You have to type my name in, Rich Valdez with an S. Then you scroll down, and it will ask you uh, to select the program. Uh, Our section where we were nominated is for our coverage of government and organizations. So you would um, go to the government and organizations section. Once you're there, there's a drop-down menu. You click Rich Valdez, America at Night. You hit Submit, and that's that. Once it's time to vote, they'll send you a link for the voting, and you'll be able to vote. So that's that. Now, I also, um, there was something else I wanted to remind you of, but it's escaping my mind. Uh, But we will continue straight ahead. We're going to have a very robust open phone America tonight. I'm thrilled to pieces uh, to connect with all of you. It's Monday, and after a couple of days off, I need to hear from this amazing audience. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'll give you the number again, 833-482-5337-833-4-VALDEZ. And you can always uh, type your comments uh, or sentiments on any of my social media pages. Feel free to do so at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. So don't go anywhere. Just keep it locked right here. We're coming right back. I am Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be with you. This is our number three of our program, where we open up the phone lines for everybody on any topic, a long-lived tradition here on this program, and I invite you to call 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And... Man, where do we start? So much to talk about. We'll continue on all the topics we discussed tonight, right? We talked about the uh, illegality, potential illegality of what's going on with Hunter Biden. His former business partner, Devin Archer, uh, gave uh, went on the record, gave testimony in a closed-door deposition uh, under subpoena from the uh, United States Congress. And we don't know what he said. They will release the transcript. We do know that he was not under oath. He was there voluntarily and did not uh, get sworn in under oath. So some are, you know, saying he can still face perjury charges even though he wasn't under oath. Um, I don't know the the legality of that. We'll have to check with one of our legal experts. But I just find it interesting that that's the case and and that we've got so much um, mounting pressure, mounting evidence, really, of Biden being involved in one way or another in his son's business. Now, I can tell you this. My dad was never vice president of the United States. 
But I would go to my dad. Would you know? I've had a couple of businesses. I've had a barber shop. I had a cell phone store, and um, my audio company that produces my podcast, stuff like that. But ultimately, I can tell you that uh, I never really had very in-depth conversations with my dad about my business because I didn't want to have those conversations with my dad, you know, about business per se. Um, but I could see if I were a lobbyist and I wanted to influence public opinion on behalf of a client that I may very well talk to my father, who is a sitting vice president of the United States and a former United States senator. Uh, it makes all the sense in the world to me that they would have those conversations. So um, I'm not shocked in the least uh, at Devin Archer's testimony. I am shocked that Dan Goldman, the Democrat, who um, gave the response afterwards, try to spin everything, making it seem like, no, we did everything right. Everybody was good. There was no problems. It's, it's you guys. It's y'all. <laughs> All right? You guys are the ones that messed up. So anyway, that was that, right? And we, other news, we have a survey that is studying which or what makes the perfect sandwich. I want to get to that. And again, I see that there, there are calls. We have calls from all over the place. Uh, Iowa, Missouri, South Carolina, another area of South Carolina, Charleston. So we are going to get to all of those. Uh, I'm just bear with me. I wanted to go through this because I want to get your your take on it as well. Um, there's a study that finds what makes a perfect sandwich. And two in three Americans, 67%, say they could live on sandwiches alone for an entire week. The perfect sandwich, according to this survey of 2,000 Americans, consists of tomato, cheddar cheese, and black forest ham by, by the measures of 54%, 39%, and 39%. Uh, the survey also found that the average American craves a sandwich four times a week. I got to tell you, I crave, that's, that's, that's probably accurate for me. And my, the sandwich that I crave comes from a royal place. A castle, a white one. And yes, those little sliders, murder burgers, as some call them. Let me tell you, that is my my craving. I give into that stuff at least twice a month. And I, I've got to cut that out because I, I think I'm gaining some weight. But that's what it is. And it seems that the best solution for your taste buds and your wallet is a sandwich. 42% said that in the poll that they're actively looking for ways to cut down the cost of food with sandwiches being the best money saving option. 67% of respondents are able to save money that way. And that's according to the survey conducted by one poll on behalf of Budig. So that's the story. Now those ingredients on the meat side were tomato, cheddar cheese, and black forest ham. But on the condiment side, it's barbecue sauce, mayonnaise, honey mustard that topped the list at 58% and working its way down to 26%. So that's what's going on in a sandwich. Now, I'm wondering what you guys think. Let's hit the phones real quick and uh, get your opinions on the record. Let me see here. All right, let's go to Kristen. She's in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Kristen, what's your favorite sandwich? Uh, my favorite sandwich is peanut butter and jelly. Oh, my gosh, that's mine, too. 
And uh, Kristen, what what do you want to say tonight? Okay, I think it's I think uh, Biden is a bad president because he's getting away with all this stuff, and and I just think Trump is going to be a better president than him. And so yeah. All right, now Kristen, you sound um, you sound kind of young. Do you have ID? Huh? Do you have some ID? Like voter ID? Anyway, for a young person, you sound really bright and you sound very smart. And I agree with you. I, I think we the proof is in the pudding that clearly uh, Trump was a better president. Uh, the economy proves it. The situation in Ukraine proves it. The situation in Israel proves it. I mean, just look around the world and things were better on every measure, in my opinion, and uh, factually. If you just look at it, things were better. And uh, yes, peanut butter and jelly. Now, I'm going to teach you something that you may not know. And it may gross some of you out. But the way to do peanut butter and jelly is on white bread. All right, you have to do it on white bread. That's not racist. That's just what the recipe calls for. And you do the peanut butter and jelly. You got to do a triple decker peanut butter and jelly. So it's it's even, even distribution. Peanut butter on one side, jelly on the other. Peanut butter on one side, jelly on the other. If you have to do one extra um, ingredient, you're going to do one extra side of jelly so that if you squeeze it a little bit, it might squeeze a little bit out on the sides, makes it more fun, right? Then you cut it diagonally. And once you've cut it diagonally, then the reason you cut it diagonally is because it fits better in a glass of tall chocolate milk. And you're wondering, why would I put the sandwich in there? You Just the corner, you dip it in there. That chocolate milk with this sandwich it's the ultimate, I mean, it's like tons and tons of sugar, and it's, I don't recommend it. Uh, but let me tell you, I did that as a kid, and I loved it. And everybody made fun of me for dunking my sandwich, but I, could, I couldn't help it. It was, it was the best way to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Anyway, Kristen, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. We are IDing you next time because you just sound incredibly young, but you are uh, a scholar and a gentleman and, uh, I mean, uh, um, a genius nonetheless. Anyway, we're going to get to the rest of your calls momentarily. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So, of course, there's no question that you guys remember that song that goes... Tequila, right? That was, of course, a big song back whenever it was big. But it was also like the Pee Wee Herman dancing song. And the actor who played Pee Wee Herman, who fell into... Uh, some heat when he was, you know, accused, I think caught, um, I don't know, getting handsy with himself in, in a, uh, adult movie theater. He, um, he passed away. He had a battle with cancer and he lost that battle. Uh, rest in peace. Paul Rubens comedian who's a funny guy. And, um, 
I saw something on, on social media the other day that said, you know, when we were in high school, we made fun of guys that wore bow ties and, and tight high water suits. And now all your kids are dressed like that for the prom. I thought that was so funny because literally that, that was, that's, you know, that's what's uh, in vogue right now. But uh, Paul Rubens, RIP. And, you know, thinking of entertainers, it brings to mind uh, this controversy with a rapper who I am fond of. I know to your chagrin. But uh, I am fond of the rapper Cardi B. Right? Cardi B is a, a Trinidadian, a Dominican-American rapper from the Bronx, New York, who makes multi-millions of dollars every year. She's very vulgar. She used to be a stripper. She even admitted to, like, drugging men that were in the strip club and then robbing them. Uh, I mean, real humble beginnings, to say the least. And she uh, was doing a show at, at let's see, was it... Um, the place in Vegas, I'm forgetting the name. But as I open this up, she was doing the show there and performing uh, to a track, which means they play the song and she sings along. And she was on stage and somebody threw their drink. And you could see it. Um, you could see the drink in the shot, in the frame. They, you know, kind of jolt the cup up and the contents of the cup, which were ice cubes and some liquid, go flying out directly onto her, like onto her shoulder, onto her hair, while she's in the middle of, like, performing, kind of leaning out towards the crowd. And she was very angered by this and saw, you know, she saw who did it because it happened right in front of her. So she took her microphone and threw it at the person. Well, the person... Uh, was ejected from the concert and the nightclub, or whatever. Not, it's not a nightclub; it's a day club. It's like a pool party or one of those Vegas parties during the day. But ultimately, uh, they're saying it was a woman that threw um, uh, that Cardi B threw her microphone at a woman. In the video, it honestly looks like a man's hand, so she might have been a really large woman. Uh, but uh, she now has reported a battery charge to the authorities. Uh, but it says here the police aren't arresting anyone. So um, Vegas police uh, told Yahoo Entertainment and Insider that no arrests or citations have been issued. Some social media videos show Cardi B throwing the mic after a drink was thrown on her, and others don't. And this is interesting, right? So when I saw, I saw the full video on Instagram, or at least the exchange you know, between the microphone and the ice and all that, and the ice comes first. But interestingly, I went to, to I, I had seen it come in as an alert on a, on a social media platform. And I was really disheartened by the comments, right? A lot of people um, were, were saying things that, I, in my opinion, were very unfair. And I don't think that we should, you know, I, I don't believe this happened because of politics. I really don't. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you'll say, no, nope, no, because if she were a Republican, she would have blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I can't say any of that with any degree of certitude. What I can say is I would probably have done the same thing. Right? If you're on stage and somebody tosses like ice cubes and a melted Diet Cola, you know, um, after you wipe it off your face and whatever and take it out of your hair, because that's what happened to her, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to return the favor one way or another. So if you're holding something in your hand and it's a microphone, hey, 
I mean, it doesn't, it's not lost on me that that's a real response. And the comments that I saw, and again, this was a conservative social media site, but I, um, I felt so um, bad about it. I was like, man, that's, that's tough. A lot of people condemning um, Cardi B like she, she deserved it. She's, she's wrong. This is what I'm thinking. Come on. This is a woman working, doing what she does, performing live, and then a heckler in the crowd that wants to hurl some ice. There's no way to, I mean, you, you could say, oh, be the bigger person and just take your ice hurling and shut up. But, I mean, if anything, I'd say I was attacked. I was assaulted when they threw the contents of their cup at me. I don't care if it's water and ice. That's enough. So anyway, I'm just curious to know what you guys think in, in uh, America. You know, what would you have done if somebody hurled uh, ice and a, and a, you know, a soda at you? And not even a brand new one, you know, one that somebody else was drinking. That's just like, uh, <laughs> I don't want that. Um, so curious to know your thoughts on everything. Uh, let's see, where do we go from here? We've got calls from all over the place. We have Mary. Mary is calling from St. Joseph, Missouri. Mary, welcome. You're on KMA out of Iowa. Go right ahead. Howdy, it's so good to hear your velvety soft voice. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Well, I think I wouldn't do anything. I would probably just say, well, you know, you're a good shot. You know, <laughs> but I think that was very rude. For the oh, person very to rude. throw it. And they certainly deserve to be removed, but, you know, I, you probably wouldn't get me on a stage anyhow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm not, con- I, I want to clarify. I, I, I'm not saying it was... Um, Right. I'm just saying I probably would be just as angry and hot-headed in the moment and do the same thing, even though it's, you know, as a professional performer, we probably all should take a breath and maybe call security, point the person out, not throw uh, an expensive wireless mic at him. But I do think I would throw a tantrum that way and say, what you do? You know, I think that's what they would hear. But anyway, Mary, uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, First of all, it is, you were talking about Avocado Day. Well, it is also World Anti-Human Trafficking Day in wow, Iowa. I, I didn't know that. Is making, yes, yes. So they're, the state of Iowa is making note of it, and they're encouraging people to have a hotline. If you want to go to KMA Land, their website, you can read about it. But I thought that was interesting. I didn't know there was such a day. Me either. I didn't know. I do know, quick story, um, there's a big podcaster named Sean Ryan who um, had Jim Caviezel on his program, who's the star of that movie, and he posted it on YouTube, and YouTube made him take it down, uh, or it took it down for him, and, and it's gone, and his interview is not there, and uh, the, he's being silenced, so we're going to be bringing him on the program tomorrow to talk more about it, but it, it just amazes me that there are so many people uh, that are, you know... Um, willing to suppress the truth of what's going on with child uh, or any type of sex traffic in America, including child sex trafficking. Yeah, well, they noted that it isn't just that they, you know, carjack women and that type of thing. They actually get to know the people that they're going to traffic and, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of suck them in and a support, you know, like they're a support system. And before they know it, they're into it so That's it's horrible. very devious 
Well, I, I thank you for, for pointing that out because I didn't know that. And uh, I do think if you ever get on stage, uh, I agree, you should probably not throw the mic. But if you do, make sure you have good aim so you don't miss. <laughs> okay. You bet, Mary. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, remember, if you want to chime in online, feel free. You can uh, drop a comment at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And you can always vote for the podcast, uh, Rich Valdez America at Night at podcastawards.com. And it just walk you right through registering your email to vote at a later date. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're coming right back. The rest of your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. message to me they tape it on the mirror in the bathroom <laughs> i'm serious not as so you wake up in the morning and yeah no it's, it's on the mirror i guess i was down early on this is not gonna be 10 years ago i was down or something and uh my daughter ashley taped on my she's a social worker taped on my mirror happiness is something something to do someone to love and something to look forward to and dad, you have all those things. <laughs> Let me tell you, I hear that. And you know, I want to be entertaining and informative and make a joke out of that. But when I hear that, it really reminds me of things I did with my own dad that had a brain injury. And uh, subsequently, he suffered from uh, traumatic brain injury related or what they call TBI related dementia. And I'm not saying that's Joe Biden all the time, but that was my dad much of the time. And in the beginning, it wasn't. He drove and he was great at lots of things. And little by little, he did less things. And I feel like Biden's going down the same the same path there. Um, it, it just is a, is a shame to see it happening. It really is a shame more than anything. Uh, and and it's, it's a cause for concern if you are a vibrant American that wants to see their country succeed, right? But... That's uh, the story with Joe El Baboso Biden. And I want to get your uh, opinion on a couple of things here. Let's see. Let's see. Where do we go here? We've got a few things here. Uh-huh. Let's go to Bill. Bill is in Jefferson City, Missouri. KTTR is the station. And Bill is also known as the resident historian on our program here. Bill, welcome. Hello, Rich. How are you this wonderfully, uh, wonderfully sun or moonlit evening? It's it's wonderful. Let me tell you, it's been ninety something degrees most days in New York. It was eighty something today. I feel like uh, like I'm in one of the Carolinas. It's beautiful. Well, anyway, what I wanted to talk to you tonight was you had mentioned Leon Panetta, the newly mm. appointed CIA director of uh, Obama back in yes. 
May 2011, and something he said last week with regard to Hunter Biden, and that piqued my interest. But anyway, I wanted to tell you about a great movie, that a fictional movie that starred as Panetta, James Gandolfini, uh, yes. you know, Tony Soprano, actor who's dead, and uh, uh, he played Panetta to a T in the movie Zero Dark Thirty, the killing of Obama, Bin Laden, Osama Bin Laden. Yes. Uh, anyway, there's a famous photo by Pete. Sosa, who was the uh, Obama's uh, photographer uh, at mm-hmm. the White House, of them in the Situation Room, and, uh, uh, and so Gandolfini uh, really played the, the, the part in this fictional movie quite well. And uh, I think the ladies, the heroine of the movie, uh, I believe her name was Myra, uh, just did a great job, and uh, uh, I'd recommend that to your audience to. Uh, Take a look at that sometime, and and think about Leon Panetta and and what he says. Uh, that's really my uh, thought for the evening. Outstanding. Now, let me ask you something, Bill. If you're on stage doing your favorite rap song, your favorite vulgar rap song, and I know you probably don't have one, but just in case you did, and somebody throws a you know a, a melted, um, half consumed large size, extra large size Diet Coke. And, you know, the the liquid hits your shoulder, the ice cubes hit you in the face, and, you know, it interrupts your entire performance. Um, Do you throw the mic at them, the one that you're holding, or how do you respond? Not a good mic. No, no. Mics are too, you know, I have done stage stuff on occasion and uh, in my younger years, and uh, uh, don't think we've had anything confetti, perhaps, thrown at us, but uh, nothing nothing like that. So w- I wouldn't sacrifice a good mic for uh, the audience. Understood. Well, you're, you're a better man than me, Bill, in Jefferson City, Missouri. KTTR, thank you, brother. I appreciate the call. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls. Let us see. Where do we go? Actually, should I pause here? Maybe I will. I'll take a quick pause here. We'll come back. We'll continue on the topics that we're on. I am Rich Valdez. Again, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And uh, we continue. We continue with the conversation we're having. 
Uh, I want to get your thoughts on a few different things. And it was a story from last night I brought up. I'll bring it back up in a moment. Uh, but uh, I want to go to Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Paul, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, good evening, Rich. Yeah, you know, with hey. that mic incident there, you know what? I'd have took that mic down there and shoved it right down her throat. You know what? Yeah. I was raised with an old man that he was a mean sucker. I mean, he was a, he was a <laughs> South Pole boxer. You know, he was a mean dude, and I kind of get that a little bit from him. If somebody threw that in my face, that's kind of like spitting on me. You know, While you're working, that. though. You're there to see right? The, that's like while you're feeding your right, family. Yeah. I, I, I was shocked, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, brother. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, Go ahead. I mean, you don't do something like that. Yeah, well, you know, um, she's there working, you know, making a living, and I guarantee you probably 98% of the people in the audience, you know, they, they, they like her. You know, and and this girl or whoever it was that did that, you know, I, I I'd have had a problem. I'd probably had to have a, a security come and get me, because that's just <laughs> the way I am. I don't know. I don't have no new. I don't have no New Yorker in me. I'm not from New York, but I'm from a small <laughs> town like Aldine said. That's like right. Says. Try that in a small town. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm with you. All right. That's I am with you. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Um, but let me tell you that uh, I totally would. I, I feel like I would have done the same thing. You just don't do that to a person, uh, especially when they're trying to earn their living. I think that that's totally wrong. Paul, are you still there? I want to ask you another question. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What do you think of this Devin Archer stuff and uh, this guy uh, Goldman coming out uh, as all sweaty and you know wringing his hands and looking all nervous uh, after after the um, deposition? Well, number one, I, I can't understand why he wouldn't be under oath. You know, that's the first thing I'd have to think about. And uh, it, it just seems like that, um, I don't know, maybe that uh, there it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up for Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I don't have very much faith in Joe Biden. I, I, I'm sure I wouldn't hate the man personally, you know, if I ever got to know him or whatever mm-hmm. or met him. Or, or whatever, but I, I just think it's a cover-up. Um, these people are guilty. You know, the, the facts are there. They've tried all this stuff on Trump. None of it's worked. None of it's worked. None of it's worked. Now the Democrats, they're shifting the narrative to where they're saying, you know, okay, well, Donald Trump did this, Donald Trump done that. Joe Biden hasn't done a thing. When uh, Trump was proved not guilty of all this, impeachment and everything else, but it seems like they're kind of like the lady said earlier, they're kind of it, it's a it's a slope, it's a slippery slope, and I just don't mm-hmm. think that the the media is covering this enough because I believe the Bidens are guilty as you know what H E double mm-hmm. hockey sticks, and I just I just wish the media would cover it better, um, but I have to listen to shows like yours to get yours to get the truth. That's how I feel, Rich. Thank you, Paul. Man, you're a very kind man. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate your observations. They're really, I think, on point. Uh, and I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of uh, perceived criminality here, and we've got to get to the bottom of it. Uh, we're going to continue. I see calls continue to come in. We're going to get to those. Uh, I want to go to quickly to Scott in Greenbrier, West Virginia. He's listening on WSLW. Scott, go right ahead. Hey, good to hear your voice there, buddy. Yes, anyway, sir. Uh, I- I want to just mention how I, I felt like the only chance the Republicans have, you know, in, in combating the Democratic uh, strategies, it, you know, and it's you know the fact that the Senate is being controlled by the the Democrats. 
I feel like the only thing we, that we can do as conservatives is actually expose the Democrats as much as possible to their, you know, criminality and different things that that, that are factual, you know. But but I think that's our only hope is to bring out only the, you know, the negative things about these guys, you know, because we only have a certain amount of time, you know. And like they're doing is they're they're milking the clock so that it can, they can get away with it by the statute of limitations and you know whatnot. Right, and of course with the media not covering it as much. Or saying, you know, blah, 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 and going with Dan Goldman's spin, um, it's kind of incumbent upon all of us, you know, whether it's media or outside of media, to make sure that we we uh, give you the, the rest of the story. Because otherwise, you're only going to hear half the story. You might start to believe half the story. And then, you know, you just think that everything that that is good and holy in life is actually wrong. So I think you, you raise a really good point. Now, Scott and Bream Greer, uh, Greenbrier, West Virginia, um, if you're performing on stage and somebody throws a half half drink, uh, big gulp at you, what do you do? Do you throw the mic back? You know, I'm one of these guys that you know, I feel like if I were that professional, I would probably, you know, kind of think, how can I get back at this guy without, you know, uh, yeah, hurting myself or myself in jail? But, you know, I was thinking I, I would probably wait for the right moment and throw a glass on him, you know, make it a part of the show. Right, right. Yeah, not a bad point. And, you know, I watched this video, and, and that's the look that Cardi B has on her face. She's like, she looks like she gets incredibly frustrated, throws the mic, and then realizes, like, damn, I really can't do much more <laughs> because I might, you know, really risk myself and my money and, you know, only one of those people was making twenty million a year, and it wasn't the person throwing the ice cubes. You know, so um, yeah, I agree. At some point, you have to realize and go. You know what? This is it's, it, it isn't worth it, uh, but it's definitely it's got to be frustrating. And yeah, good point. Uh, work it into the show. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna where are we gonna go here? We will we'll do one more call. Then we'll co- take a pause, and we will wrap up with everybody else that's on there. Uh, where do we go? Let's go to Tommy Charleston, West Virginia, another West Virginian, WCHS. Go right ahead. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Valdez. Uh, I salute my, my fellow West Virginian who preceded me. On the Cardi B thing, uh, I think basically I see it as like a reflex reaction. Somebody assaults me in some fashion. A couple of seconds later, I assault them in some fashion. Right. And I push can't me and push you back. Yeah, I can't understand why this young woman is being subject to criticism, especially at a time there's been several incidents of this sort where people seem to think it's perfectly okay to throw things at singers. Well, uh, in the uh, Madison Square Garden, et cetera, They'll toss you out of there and ban you, et cetera, and that's the way they should do. I think you should be locked up for simple assault when you do that. Now, let me say I find it so strange that I'm celebrating National Avocado Day, and I like mine without the guacamole treatment. Nothing Mm -hmm. against guacamole. It's okay. I just want regular avocado. You carve it up. You scoop it out with a spoon, and there Mm -hmm. you go. Yeah, what about salt? Do you add a little salt, salt and pepper? No. No, I want my avocado just the way God made it. Uh, (laughs) I got to try that. I love love avocados, but I always do a little dash of salt and pepper. Um, And um, the, um, 
No, so you're saying no seasoning on the avocado? None at all? No, I, I just leave it alone. Uh, now, the third and the really important point, okay? Mm-hmm. I can't understand, because I just saw Sound of Freedom uh, mm-hmm. a week ago. I can't understand how this movie is remotely controversial, as in some negative way. Uh, all it is is an excellent piece of work overall by the filmmaker, and uh, Mr. Cavizel uh, does a fine uh, performance as Agent Ballard, playing Agent Ballard. Yeah. All this is is a policeman, a federal agent. He worked on a lot of uh, child pornography and sex trafficking-related stuff for over a decade, and he kind of he gets in with this. He found a Colombian policeman who was simpatico. And they really went to work uh, and did a nice job on protecting and rescuing uh, these children who are uh, the victims of, of uh, a twisted criminal mentality. Uh, and I don't understand why people somehow seem to find something wrong with this movie. This is the truth, and uh, I, uh, Agent Ballard, he's a man and a half and then some. You know what, Tommy? I think you're 100% right. Uh, I haven't uh, haven't met him, but uh, and I'm watching the film this weekend, this Saturday. But I can tell you, it, it's remarkable to me how some theaters are blocking the film. It's remarkable how they're taking interviews with Jim Caviezel off of the Internet, off of YouTube. Um, just crazy what we're seeing. I appreciate your call. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, we're back. It's Open Phone America. We're doing the speed round, so we got to be short, succinct, and to the point. Let's go to Raymond in Roseburg, Oregon, KQEN. Raymond, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Um, I was listening to you were talking about that entertainer that threw their mic, yeah. and it kind of got me thinking about uh, Miranda Lambert, the country singer. Yes. She, uh, she had some fans in the audience in the front row, and they were trying to take selfies and and she stopped the song, and she called him out on it. And I just wanted to to see what you thought, because it seems like for as long as she's been doing this, she should be used to people doing selfies all the time. You know, it should be standard operating mm-hmm. procedure for her, you know? Let me tell you something, Raymond. So I, I saw that video, and she literally was like, all right, I'm going to start again, folks, because uh, they're, they're, like, taking selfies. And, and I was embarrassed for everybody in that room. I couldn't believe that the, the level of, and again, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't know Miranda Lambert, and I'm sure she's a lovely woman, and I like her music. But when I saw that, I felt exactly like you did, and I thought, my goodness, I go to concerts. You pay good money to go to a concert. If I want to turn around and take a selfie because I want a picture with the person that I like singing over my shoulder in the background, I mean, w- what's up with that? Why would you single me out? You know, And people got up and walked away because they were so uh, taken aback uh, by her behavior. And I think sometimes people get like that in, in the music business, lamentably. 
this is, um, you know, what I, I think that's one of those cases of she was being a diva in that case. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. You know, listen, I remember working um, at, at WABC Radio, and I, I'd, I'd met Tony Orlando, the world-famous singer in Vegas. He's all over the place. And I remember when he told me, he said, listen to me, Rich. When somebody comes to you and says they want your autograph, and he says they don't really say that anymore. Now they want a selfie. But he said if, if it was, you know, he said whether it was in, in Vegas or where I'm in New York, whatever it is, he said, I always stop. And he said, you should too. He said, remember, these people, ultimately, they pay your bills, right? Without listeners on this program, there's no commercial radio. You've, you're, you're listening to a commercial because you enjoyed this program. But I don't have a program if you're not listening to this show. So ultimately, uh, we've got we to have love for our fans. And I do, like Brody in Pittsburgh, KDKA, Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI, Robert in South Carolina on WTMA. I'm sorry I didn't get to you. I promise you guys go to the front of the line uh, when we have open phones tomorrow. And I might even start open phones a little bit earlier tomorrow. So take care. Good night. And God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it all again tomorrow. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. <laughs>